Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the Columbians podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damian Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So we're going to keep things short today. This is our nice post-election show. Um, we're just doing the recording for this on Wednesday. Normally mm-hmm. we start a little earlier, but thought it was important to talk about the election and the uh, in the hours following the results. So um, and we're not going to talk national elections. You guys have heard plenty of that, and I'm sure you've already read tons of articles here and there and listened to all the pundits on TV. We're going to keep this focused on the local races and the local initiatives, and we don't have any special guests this time, right? Nope, no special guests this time. We're going to bring in Lauren Dake, our state and city reporter, as well as Jake Thomas, our county reporter. I expect I'll probably play back up on that conversation a little bit. Um, just to yeah, talk yeah. about the results of the uh, of the local races, local initiatives, propositions. Um, I think the big story locally, uh, in many ways, is Proposition 1, the affordable housing levy, which, was, which voters approved. Um, I thought that was a little bit of a surprise to see that. Yeah, so. I did too. I really didn't think that that was going to go anywhere. That and the Stonier and Topper race was obviously a really big one that was on the minds. Yeah, of a lot that was of a that was a heated race for sure. So mm-hmm. as well as the uh, as well as the Tim Probst and Linda Wilson race. And yeah. I boy, I'm just so excited not to get political mailers. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. All things considered, <laughs> I, I opened up the mailbox yesterday, and it, I live in the 17th legislative district, and I had about. I must have had about a dozen, a dozen mailers, even on election day. Really? It was just, yeah, it wow. was crazy. So, um, looking forward to that piece of it being over at least. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, stay tuned, guys. This one is um, not going to include our usual closer, like I think we just said, and we'll keep it short and sweet and to the point, with hopefully many good points. But first, we're gonna have a quick message from our in-house sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you with support from the Colombian Subscription Department. Just in time for the holidays, take advantage of big savings on a gift they'll open again and again. For only $20 a month, you can give the gift of local news delivered every day. Call today to take advantage of this great offer. Request the podcast special by calling 360-694-2312. This offer is only available for customers that have not had service in the last 30 days. All right, you guys. So now we are sitting down with two of our fellow reporters, Jake Thomas and Lauren Dake, and we are going to talk elections. So, Lauren, you've been covering these state races, which have been pretty heated for for a while now. I mean, it hasn't been the full 500 days, obviously, at the national level, but um, I mean, this has been kind of a long journey for these candidates. And yeah, what did we see on uh, Tuesday night? Well, I think as Stunning as the results were for some people at the presidential level, um, Clark County voters are seeing a lot of the same. Um, They've picked a lot of incumbents. The race that was perhaps the most surprising and that garnered a lot of statewide interest was the 17th District Senate race between Linda Wilson and Tim Probst. And Wilson had a really healthy lead as of Tuesday night um, over her democratic rival yeah and um is there any any suggestion that that gap might narrow or that he could make it up because it was something like five percent or something like that that she was ahead wasn't it um she captured 54 percent of the vote and he had 45.9 oh so even more than that typically the um ballots that come in later are lean republican so most likely her lead will just increase as Mm. as more ballots are counted Hmm. 
Um, and initially, in the primary, after first returns, he was leading, correct? And then she flipped toward later? She won the primary by 50, 50 votes, but he, I, I think he maybe had, they were really neck and neck when the like first the whole time, came yeah. through. Yeah. In 2012, he lost to um, Senator Benton, who Wilson and Will replaced, um, by 76 votes. So it, it's always been historically an incredibly tight seat, but this this year she she surprised I think even herself a little bit with how great her lead was right off the bat. What do you think that I mean? What can we attribute that to? Do you have any thoughts on that and and why the margin is so great at this? Uh, you know, based on historically what we've seen to kind of yeah, see that surprising lead. That's usually a swing district, isn't it? Well. That's questionable now. We've actually been talking about that for the last couple of cycles. Republicans have done really well in that district, uh-huh. but it has been thought of as a swing district. I, I like I said, I think that Wilson even herself was surprised with how great her lead was right off the bat. Um, I think that Tim Probst and his camp thought that they ran a really great, solid campaign and really thought that they had a chance this time. So what, what? did it in for him I'm, I'm i'm not sure just that people were very enthusiastic to vote for her and she had a lot of advertising it was a it was a pretty nasty campaign on both sides with independent expenditures coming in um so that might have played a role as well did we see any of the big expenditures in that race like we did in the stone year topper we didn't see that the level of expenditures from one specific entity like the stone year topper race we saw more than 440000 from the Washington Education Association, the teachers' union, mm-hmm. directly to benefit Stonier mm-hmm. and some of it to oppose Topper. But um, in that race, in the 17th Senate race, we just saw money coming in from all different camps. I mean, there were, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't recall the totals anymore, but they were... They both raised quite a bit of money. Well, I was saying to Damien at the top of the podcast here, I'm, I am I live in the 17th district, and I mean, every day in all of the races in that district, um, both the, the Vicki Craft Sam Kim one, as well as the, the Probst and Wilson one, I mean, every single day bombarded by mailers. And it's it was always independent expenditure paid for mailers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of money. There was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of statewide interest in this race because it had, it was a, a key race that could flip the majority in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So both Republican and it was an open seat. So far as we know that the Republicans are going to maintain the majority in the Senate, right? Yeah, it looks like that. They, yeah. And, and Democrats will maintain the control in the House. Mm. You, you touched on the, the uh, Monica Stonier and Alicia Topper race already in the 49th district. Um, talk a little bit more about the results of that race. And, and I mean, because that was a pretty ugly campaign, too, at times. That did get kind of divisive for two Democrats who were both very left-leaning and um, could be described as pro-education Democrats. Both have worked in school districts and, like I've said numerous times, are philosophically aligned with their district. It got it got um, a little bit uh, dirty at times. Yeah, as of last night, Topper had 45% of the vote, Alicia Topper, the Vancouver City Councilwoman, and Monica Stonier had 54% of the vote. And Monica Stonier, again, she was a teacher and a former lawmaker, and the Washington Education Association poured a lot of money into that race. Mm-hmm. And then you had two other lawmakers who came out in the middle of the race and endorsed Alicia Topper. So, Did Topper have an education background as well? 
She works with the Vancouver Public Schools. That's right. She works at the foundation, correct? Yeah. Uh, Why did the teachers' union pour so much money into one side of this race? I talked to a spokesman at the Washington Education Association about that, and his answer was that there are not enough classroom teachers in the state legislature. And um, Monica Stonier was the classroom teacher, and they wanted more of those voices at the table. Well, and especially with McCleary, you know, the, the fallout of the McCleary decision being the big talking point for the legislator this year, I mean, I can I can see, I can, I mean, that makes sense to me, that, that rationale, um, but it was so much money. Um, it was a lot of money, and I don't anticipate that, I mean, I could be wrong, but Alicia Topper is also probably going to vote in a similar fashion than Monica Stonier would. I mean, they're both, they're both pro-education, but the point that um, Stonier made about the, receiving this money was that she understands w- that there's policy and then there's implementation of policy and those are two different things and being in the classroom where this policy is handed down from the state legislature can be very frustrating when you're in the classroom and trying to actually implement it and mm-hmm. so any other any other highlights or anything else for, at the state level that we no those are the two you know main races that we've been watching mm-hmm. no other major surprises Vicki Kraft and Sam Kim are still pretty neck and neck for position one in the 17th, but Kraft will probably pull that out by the, later today. Hmm. Um, talk about the Jim, Jim Moeller, Jamie Herrera Butler. Yeah. Because like he had a pretty commanding lead, or she had a pretty commanding lead as of last night. Yeah, in the third congressional district, it looks like Jamie Herrera Butler sailed on to a fourth term with 58.83% of the statewide vote. Jim Muller got about 41%. So he's been a longtime politician, somebody that we've seen around here, first the Vancouver City Councilman and now Speaker Pro Tem of the House for a long time. And it'll be um, interesting to see what he does next. Yeah, have he talked to you at all about that, about what the game plan is for him going forward? Or uh, He sent me a text last night that just wrote, we got robbed and then a little smiley face emoticon with the black sunglasses, which is his favorite emoticon. (laughs) (laughs) You know you're doing great coverage when you recognize your your politician's favorite favorite emoticon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a world we live in. (laughs) I do not say this to sound flippant, because I I like Jim Muller just fine, but um, man, did he really think that he was going to be able to successfully take on Jamie Herrera Butler? I mean, her district is built for her. I think he, he said he did. Yeah. Whether how how genuine that was, I'm I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, but he had an uphill battle. I mean, since 2011 redistricting, the district has been um, carved out to favor Republicans significantly. Yeah, and not just here, but nationwide. Well, now that we got those main races out of the way, we should probably think a little bit about the county. Yeah, talk to us about what you saw last night, Jake, um, in the two races that you covered. Um, well, in the race for um, Council District Position 3, it was between John Blum, a Republican, and Tanisha Harris, a Democrat. And that election was quite close. And in, in fact, it was surprising to both candidates how close it was. It was less than 200 votes, the margin uh, from the initial count. Well, yeah, by the time listeners hear this, I mean, we may, because we, we don't know yet mm-hmm. who's going to win in that one. I mean, mm-hmm. things might change in the, in the later counts, but... They could change the later counts, and then and uh, that's what and both neither candidate at this point has declared victory, and they're both waiting until 
more returns come in. Um, I think by Friday, I know that the, the county auditor is working on, on Veterans Day to get the vote, uh, get the, all the ballots counted. So I think by Friday, we should have a pretty good picture of, of who's going to win. But like Lauren mentioned, um, the conservatives tend to vote later um, or tend to turn their ballots later. So that's probably going to favor John Blum. Um, although one thing that is kind of weird about this election is David Medore, um, who's a current county council um, member who, who lost in the primary to John Blum, he ended up endorsing Tanisha Harris. And so he, and he got, I think, about 25% of the vote in the primary. So I don't know how much sway Medore ha might have with the voters, if they might uh, go ahead and vote for Harris. So that could be a bit of a wild card, but I guess we'll, we'll find out soon. Mm -hmm. Well, he does have a very loyal following. This is true. Yeah, yeah. no, he's, he definitely, people who like David Medore really like David Medore. So they might, so that they, they could end up turning in ballots for Tanisha Harris, so. Yeah, I mean, how many of them live in District 3 is going to be the big question, mm -hmm. so. Um, what about District 4? As, as far as I saw, it looked like um, Eileen Quirin had a had a pretty deep lead in that. Yeah, dist District 4, it looks like it's Eileen Quiring. She has, uh, she's declared victory. Um, I talked to Roman Batan last night, right at, it was just right after the election results came out, when he looked at the initial results. There's still a lot of ballots to be counted, but um, he's not ready to throw in the towel yet. He still has not conceded defeat yet. But but right now it looks like he's gonna really have to pull out a hat trick, or he's gonna have to really. So, so there's gonna have to be a, a kind of a surprise in 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 what's happening with those ballots because right now, it looks like Eileen Quiring has a pretty steady lead. So I mean I know it's it's so hard to speculate, and I think those national elections just really showed us what happens when you over speculate, but. Um, Based on the outcome of these two elections, do you have any idea what the county council might look like? Well, that, that'll be interesting. I don't, nobody's quite sure. I know that every every candidate I've spoke with has has stressed the need for more collaboration, and they want to have positive headlines come out of the county. They don't want to have a lot of the bickering that's that's marked m the most recent years of uh, uh, of the council. So, um, I mean, I know John Blum, and I mean John Blum was was. Uh, he beat David Medor, so, and he seems like he's got a lot of support from, uh, you know, Democrats. In fact, he was uh, the the G local Republican Party uh, voted to to not endorse him, to oppose him. And so, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he that that's uh, an indication that he's more bipartisan. Um, Tanisha Harris has stressed that she wants to to work with the other side, um, and I've heard that in the other race as well. But but we'll see. Do you guys have any kind of last parting thoughts on big picture, what the election, local election results mean for Clark County, for the local legislative districts, or? I think one thing that's clear with the Southwest Washington delegation, and we're writing about this for the weekend, is just um, there's been a lot of division created in, in order for them to work as a, as a, you know, not necessarily a cohesive unit, but in order for them to work well for Clark County in this region in Olympia, they're gonna have to, um, overcome some of that and, and figure out how to how to mend some of the, the fences. All right, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Yeah. yeah. Hey, everybody. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Columbian Subscription Department. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the newspaper. For only $20 a month, you can get news delivered to your door every single day. But you have to tell them you want to use the podcast special. So, be sure you request the podcast special. Call 360-694-2312.
This offer is only available to customers that haven't had service in the last 30 days. All right, guys, so to close today, we're going to talk a little bit about, to me, what was kind of the surprise of the evening, Proposition 1, the Vancouver Affordable Housing Levy. So um, we have Patty Hastings, who you met in our first podcast. Um, Patty covers, uh, this is the area that Patty covers, is, is homelessness and social services and a variety of things in our community. So um, mm-hmm. so she's been following this race pretty closely. So um, so welcome, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hey, Patty, I just want to know, I think a lot of people around the newsroom were surprised that this passed. Was that the sentiment um, among the people who were hoping to see it pass as well? Or did they expect that it was going to go through as it did? They expected that it would go through, but that it wouldn't do as well as it did. They were expecting maybe 54% of people would vote yes, but the fact that it got 57%, um, according to the initial results was surprising to them. Mm-hmm. So what was the what was the count as of last night? Uh, so as of last night, it's fifty seven point three seven percent yes and forty two point six three percent no. So that's that's not going to change at this point. That is a wide comfortable right. margin. And r- remind our listeners: was that countywide? Was that just Vancouver City? This is just for the city of Vancouver. Okay. Well, and I think that was kind of my is I think I tend to conflate you know the overall conservative Clark County with, you know, the city of Vancouver is still a very left-leaning, more liberal city. So, right. so with that in mind, I guess it maybe isn't quite right. so surprising. Well, I think where we, like, our social boundaries for where Vancouver ends versus the actual on-the-ground uh, governmental boundaries are, those are, don't always line up together. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, give us a quick rundown, if you can, of what this levy is going to do and what it does not do. Um, so this levy is going to bring in um, $6 million per year to build, preserve, maintain affordable housing, um, you know, build homeless shelters, so do all those things that, that low-income families are, are maybe not getting right now due to limited services. And what is it? what is the levy rate for households? Uh, the levy rate is $0.36 cents per $1,000 of assessed value. So if you've got a $250,000 home, then you're going to be spending about seven fifty a month or $90 a year. Gotcha. And, y- and you chatted last night with Andy Silver, um, the executive director of Council for the Homeless. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what his reaction was and, and what kind of vibe you got from him at Geyser Hall last night. Uh, he was really happy. <laughs> um, he, him and Katie Archer, you know, were, you know, cheering and like hugged each other and were just really happy with the results. Uh, Katie Archer is the campaign manager for Proposition 1. Um, and so, yeah, they were just really happy. And uh, Andy was getting a bunch of text messages from people congratulating him. So hmm. Exciting. So when might we see some actual uh, direct impact, some on-the-ground work with these these new funds? Um, Andy Silver thinks about mid-2017 is when you'll actually see something happen because they're going to start collecting the money in January, and then the city has to project, okay, how much money will we have when and what can, you know, what can we do with it? Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. Great. Well, thanks for coming on and talking with us about it. You're welcome. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. It was short, uh, depending on your perspective. It was sweet or it was not so sweet. But um, 
yeah, next week we're going to be talking about homelessness, actually, where uh, you, Katie, and uh, Patty are really going to take the reins on this and talk about ho- homelessness and housing issues, right? Yeah, so so next week will be a really interesting episode. Um, Patty, who you just heard, and I have been working on a series for some time looking at homelessness in our community from a few different angles, and we'll be exploring that over the course of a three-day series of stories in print, and we'll give you a preview of what's to come in next Thursday's episode of Clark Talks. So look forward to that because we've talked to some really, really compelling families and um, I think we'll get to tell some good stories about about what's happening around that issue in our community. Yeah, just the snippets of raw audio I've listened to so far, it's going to be really good. Yeah, um, definitely. All right, so yeah, tune into that. And as per the usual, um, if you guys love this episode, if you hate this episode, if you have good ideas for our next episode, please get in touch with us. We really want your feedback. We set up a whole new email address just for this show, and I would love to see some emails trickle in there. And that email is podcast at columbian.com. Have a, have a fantastic day, guys. See you next week.